And now, Manufacturing Matters with your host, Cliff Waldman. Good day, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Manufacturing Matters. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host for this weekly series on Manufacturing Talk Radio. This is the series where we dive into all things manufacturing. We, of course, talk about the headlines, the economic headlines, the political headlines. They matter a great deal to what goes on in the factory floor and what goes on in the C-suite. But at this time of change, at this time of disruption, we have to get a lot deeper, a lot more intellectual. And the word here is new. New science, new technology, new economic thinking. And we're here to help our listeners understand how all of this is contributing to a new U.S. manufacturing sector. As I've told my uh, listeners in past weeks and past months now, it is my intention to bring on the best guests, the best economists, the best scientists, the best and most prolific authors, because we really need them to understand the complex dynamics of what is happening with goods production in the, U- the U.S. and in the world. Today, I'm absolutely keeping my promise. If there is one thing in my 15, 16 years of talking to manufacturing executives that they have told me about more than any other problem that they have, it is the workforce. It is filling positions. We need in the United States to worry about a skilled, modern, 21st century workforce. Because, frankly, if we don't have that, we are not going to be anywhere near to being competitive. My guest today is one of the best thinkers in this area. I am proud to introduce Dr. Robert Lehrman. Dr. Lehrman is an institute fellow at the Urban Institute. For those of you who don't know, that is a top Washington think tank. He is Emeritus Professor of Economics at American University and a research fellow at IZA in Bonn, Germany. Dr. Lehrman was one of the first scholars to examine the economic determinants of unwed fatherhood and to propose a youth apprenticeship strategy in the U.S. As I often say about Bob, he gets into the real issues of the labor market. His published research covers family structure, inequality, income support, and youth employment and development. Dr. Lehrman is a leading academic expert on U.S. apprenticeship, which is what will be the focus of our show today. He has had publications on apprenticeship spanning decades, including The Compelling Case for Youth Apprenticeship, Restoring Opportunity by Expanding Apprenticeship, do firms benefit from apprenticeship investments? The virtue of apprenticeship. He has testified before congressional committees and served on the National Academy of Sciences panel on the U.S. post-secondary education and training system. Dr. Lehrman is founding president of the American Institute for Innovative Apprenticeship and serves on the board of the International Network for Innovative Apprenticeship. 
Dr. Lamman is principal investigator of U.S. government-funded evaluation of demonstration grants on apprenticeship and of a project on building occupational competency frameworks for apprenticeship. He earned a B.A. degree in Brandeis University and a doctorate in economics at MIT. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Cliff. This is perhaps one of the most long-standing discussions in the U.S. economy. Let's 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 go broad before we go specific into um, manufacturing. We hear about opportunity, but we also hear from the employer perspective about finding good workers, workers that they need. So I'm going to ask us to go up 30,000 feet in a helicopter, and in doing that, I'm going to ask you. Please give us a broad picture of the skills supply in the U.S. economy. And specifically what I'm asking, Bob, in which U.S. sectors are the needed skills relatively abundant and in which are they relatively scarce? Well, that's a good question, Cliff. We don't have data on skills more broadly. We have data on educational attainment. We have data on test scores in academics, um, but we don't really have data on the supply of people that are relevant to particular occupational areas. What we can do is we can look at vacancies and see where those vacancies are. We can see what companies report with regard to their pain points, including manufacturing companies. And typically, it's a lot of the middle-skill occupational areas where you need very uh, high-quality, specific skills in uh, industrial maintenance, in uh, sometimes they call it mechatronics that combine mechanical and electrical uh, uh, capabilities, um, certain types of uh, advanced welding techniques, all of these areas uh, in manufacturing uh, are areas where companies feel that they have pain points. Interestingly enough, a lot of them uh, report that there are, there are sufficient numbers of college graduates, um, which uh, many of the uh, sort of labor market experts say when, when they want to expand the number of skill, the number with high skills, they say, well, we need to increase, let's say, college completion. But that's not what a lot of companies report in terms of their shortfalls. Um, we, uh, so again, it's, it's hard to add up exactly what are the total numbers in each sector. Uh, we can just look at pain points. We can look at what kind of premiums they're having to, to undertake to keep people and that sort of thing. Well, you know, one of the interesting things about educational data and analyzing educational data is that we take attainment as a given. A college degree is a college degree. High school diploma is a high school diploma. But let's challenge it a little. Let's look beneath the surface a little. Because anecdotally, we often hear that the U.S. education system on all levels is, quote, unquote, out of touch with respect to the needs of U.S. employers. 
what's your assessment? I know it's a broad question, but generally speaking, what's yeah, your assessment? Well, I think it I think it does depend on the area. Uh I think for some areas, um if people at least learn a fair amount in their college programs, um eventually they'll they'll be good in certain occupational fields. Um of course they would need uh you know extra training and or experience. Um the case of engineering is interesting because um, we are training uh, a good number of engineers, but um, a lot of companies report, well, for the first year, year two, uh, the engineers are not uh, able to uh, do things that are highly relevant to their workplace because they haven't had the workplace experience. They might create a part that really won't work right in the real world, even though it would seem like it would be effective uh, for them. So, um, and then when you go and look at uh, community colleges, um, in the healthcare area, they uh, do okay uh, but even there, um, you know, you, it's unclear that they can do it as cost-effectively as other approaches. Um, I mean, they may have a medical assistant program that lasts uh, a year and a half, two years, where you could do it much more effectively through other kind of training. Um, so in that sense, it's not as geared to the jobs and the careers uh, that are out there in in in, in terms of demand. Um, you know, we we do spend a lot of money on higher ed. Uh, you know, other countries, for example, even when you're becoming a lawyer, uh, they don't have the first four years and then another three years for law school. They sort of combine it uh, into a shorter uh, shorter effort. You know, we have the luxury of doing that, and I guess we'll continue to do it. Um, it's never clear to me that that's necessarily the best approach. But uh, with regard to these middle skill areas, oh, well, l let me back up one second. The other thing is there are a lot of people who uh, would learn better uh, through a more experiential uh, preparation for careers um, and what we're seeing is that, uh, in, especially in the community colleges, high, high rates of dropouts, low rates of uh, degree and even certificate completion. And um, in many fields, uh, a weak link between what they learn in school and what the employers expect. Well, those are perfect comments and thoughts to now get specifically into what I want to focus on today. Let's focus on apprenticeships. The first question is a basic one. If you could, please explain for our audience what they are and how they work. Okay. Well, apprenticeships are jobs that involve the learning of occupational skills and employability skills at the workplace, 
along with courses that uh, are related to that field. Uh, they might be basic courses in mathematics, but they are related, uh, where um, the apprentices are using what they learn in the classroom uh, to apply uh, at the workplace. Uh, apprentices are paid, and they contribute to production, and all that leads to some sort of occupational certification at the end. It's a very structured uh, set of uh, competencies that they're going to learn at the workplace to be able to perform high-level functions in that occupation and to perform that at a, at a, at a high level. So um, it's a, a real combination of uh, learning at work, producing, uh, learning concepts in an academic uh, setting uh, could be uh, could even be uh, computer-based learning or or online learning, uh, all leading to the capabilities in that occupation. You know, I had only to read one of your recent papers to find a perfect data point to highlight the serious problem that we are having in U.S. manufacturing. In a recent paper, you cite a survey which finds that 84% of manufacturing executives agree that there is a quote-unquote talent shortage in U.S. manufacturing. And these executives estimate that 6 of 10 open-skilled production positions are going unfilled due to the talent shortages, shortage. Yeah. With the rapid process disruptions that are fundamentally changing manufacturing, let me ask you, my, my hypothesis is that this is likely, if left on its own, to only get worse. With, what, with all the changes in manufacturing, this um, talent shortage, this skill shortage, if we don't do something about it, it's only going to get worse. Do you agree with that? Yes, uh, I mean a lot of companies cope, uh, but they they're they're trying to cope in a very difficult environment where they're trying to cope uh, with shorter run training that might help on particular jobs, but you know as you say to be able to do well as technology changes, you you need in depth training. And that in-depth training, and, and you need people who are going to be committed to that occupational area, at least for a period of time. Um, and so I, I do think that it, 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 it's probably worse today than it was even in 2015 when, when that other study was published. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, But then there's also a lot of things that, that we miss. For example, uh, companies um, may have uh, may not have the ability to have high levels of capacity utilization because when one of their people is out, they really don't have uh, a really good replacement. Or uh, maintenance problems arise that are not uh, really fixed in a in a quick way. Um, 
And then also uh, there may be areas that they could be getting into that require a very high level of expertise and quality. And because of the limited uh, capabilities of their workforce and, and who they can even hire, uh, they choose not to, to go with. And so we're leaving those uh, uh, high-value-added fields uh, to really top-flight skilled people from other countries, let's say Switzerland and, and Germany. Um, so there's a lot of uh, areas where uh, we, can, we can do a lot better. Well, can an apprenticeship program, let's connect the dots, can an apprenticeship program be one effective solution to this much-talked-about manufacturing skills deficit? Yeah, I, I believe so, and I believe that we can do it. We haven't uh, – we've tilted all of our uh, government-type uh, training dollars toward – what I call the academic-only approach. Um, and so, and uh, even when people talk about career and technical education, they usually are talking about it from the perspective of, of school-based programs, programs that are almost entirely school-based. Um, I think that is a, a recipe for failure, or at least poor performance, uh, because uh, there are many things you can only learn on the job. Certainly, you can only learn a lot of the employability skills that you need uh, in terms of uh, the relevant kind of uh, safety in that setting, the relevant kind of listening skills, the relevant kind of uh, of uh, teamwork skills, all of those things, uh, you, and meeting a deadline, um, recognizing that you know there's an order that didn't that has to get out tonight. Um, all of these things you don't really encounter uh, in a school-based setting. So we've been we've been tilting all of our resources there. We don't really even have uh, a cadre of effective people at explaining apprenticeship to companies and helping them organize their apprenticeships. We have also a very um, a system of apprenticeship that is not providing uh, skill frameworks that can be a starting point for companies. Now we have. Urban Institute are beginning to do that, and we have developed a number of them uh, in manufacturing, um, whether it's uh, a CNC setup programmer, an industrial maintenance mechanic. These are all on our website, mechatronics technician, uh, installer, mechatronics technician fitter, all of these specific fields, and of course, there are many more. We're these are just the, the initial ones that, that we've come up with. Um, as we move in this direction, I think we can scale apprenticeship, but it needs these frameworks. It needs uh, some government support to pay for the off-job training. 
I would hold the companies responsible for paying the wage of the apprentice because the apprentice is also, from day one, going to contribute something to the production process. The first six months, you're going to pay him more than he contributes, but or she uh, contributes. But uh, as the apprentice gains more experience, uh, the companies will see they can do a lot. The apprentices can do a lot of real work. Well, ideally, what should be the role of the government on any level in facilitating a, a U.S. manufacturing apprenticeship program? What, what should the public sector be doing, if anything? Okay, the, the public sector, in my view, should be doing two things. Well, three things. One is continuing uh, the effort to create relevant occupational frameworks. So anybody that's trying to sell a company on apprenticeship and help them organize that apprenticeship will have a starting point. They won't have to start fresh each time they encounter an occupational area. Second, the government should subsidize, at least for the time being, for a period of time, organizations that go out and actually achieve um, the selling and organizing of an apprenticeship. Uh, I think they can do it for we could we could probably do it for maybe just maybe two thousand per apprentice. Uh, and think about how much we spend in a community college just in one year. Uh, the third thing is uh, to provide um, what we call the related education and training. Now, if we can start some of these apprenticeships in high schools, uh, then High school is already an entitlement, and we can use some of those courses. The government wouldn't have to spend even a dollar more than they're now spending. Um, so I think those three things, frameworks, sales and organizing incentives to organizations, and um, uh, support for some of the off-job uh, uh, courses, those three together would would be a very good start. Subsequently, I think we should help with uh, training trainers, uh, maybe certifying the skills, maybe even encouraging uh, third-party endpoint assessments. But for the time being, the first three uh, on my list are the frameworks, the selling and organizing, and the support for the off-job courses. Now, with any apprenticeship program, manufacturing apprenticeship program that's in place. It yeah. seems to me that there's a maintenance issue here because given, as I said, the rapid disruption in manufacturing that are you know, going to go on as far as the eye can see, any apprenticeship program in the manufacturing sector really has to be constantly revisited, does it not? Correct, correct. And um I would say certainly every two to three years, these frameworks that I were talking about would have to be revisited. But as far as the workers are concerned, um, usually uh, technical change is kind of incremental. And if you know uh, the fundamentals uh, of the occupation, you can, and of course, if, you know, the companies will have to uh, provide additional training. Usually when there's a new technique, introduce, uh, let's say, somebody selling you a new machine, 
that comes with some training of the workers uh, alongside. So, but it, it's important that those workers are at a very good starting point. Um, and so apprenticeships will give them that, that base level uh, expertise. Also, I think what we've seen is that when you have a well-trained person, they can contribute to the innovation of the companies. And, and we see that because a lot of innovation takes place incrementally from the ground up, and uh, companies can take advantage of that uh, with, with their apprentices. The third thing is that one of the key elements that companies talk about is this employability skills area, uh, that uh, they're having trouble finding people with the capabilities that have responsibility, that teamwork, all of those things I mentioned, um, once those are incorporated into your apprenticeship and into the, the workplace experience, um, that's not going to be as much of a problem. Final question. This is from listening to your discussion about the private sector and public sector efforts that are going to need, be needed here. This is quite um, obviously a huge undertaking. Correct. Once we get the national will for building up the apprenticeship program that we need, in what, and I'm going to focus again in the manufacturing yeah. sector, help us with those first steps. What should be the agenda for the first six months to really get it moving? Well, let, let me just say that I'll, I'll put it a different way. I mean, I did mention those three elements, the frameworks, the selling, and the uh, off-shop courses. But what I, what I would say is that we should have hope based on the fact that, for example, in England they went from 150,000 to 850,000 in a short period of time. Uh, in South Carolina, they only had 90 companies doing apprenticeship in 2008. And then in, by 2012, 2013, they had over 700 companies. So the, the effective sales and organizing component uh, can get us a long way. Uh, I think if we did this uh, with those three steps that I talked about, uh, incentives to sell and organize, the frameworks and the off-job courses, I think we could, in, in a period of five to eight years, uh, achieve a good deal of scale uh, in manufacturing apprenticeships. Bob Lehrman, you gave us your time. You gave us your expertise. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. For the manufacturing executives, who are listening to this episode, they know that the importance of the topic speaks for itself. We have a lot to do to close the big gaps in the manufacturing workforce. We will be exploring that in future episodes along with the many, many other rapid changes and rapid challenges that the U.S. manufacturing sector Fronting. Until next time, I will simply say that this is Cliff Waldman reminding you that manufacturing matters, 
and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.